0: I can't believe you didn't put enough gas in the car. Oh,
1: you know, I thought Texas wasn't this big.
0: Te- you didn't think Texas was big? Is,
1: I, is it known for being big? I, didn't... I don't
0: know. Let's hope they're still dumb enough to pick up hitch. Oh, wait. Here we pick go. Up somebody. Someone's pulling up for us. Nice big red car. Nice. Thanks, mister. Thanks for the ride. We just need a, yeah, we just need a ride to the next town. I think it's Virgil. I used to be fascinated by dinosaurs when I was a kid. Uh huh. Yeah. A lot of kids were. Hey, uh, you gonna say hi, mister?
2: Are... Who lived twenty thousand years uh, ago were found here.
0: The nickname her so, yeah. this is all really interesting. The first inhabitants but... here. Refer to yeah, to we kind of just people. uh... other groups they came in contact. At us in these ones. Are you
1: from around friends?
0: here? Texas yeah. Comes
2: from the Caddoan word.
0: Do you have any friends? bodies in the trunk? Maybe. However, the
1: Where is this your car or is this a rental?
0: Group of Spanish That's He's that's 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 not... Uh, he want to get out of here now. He's, He's not? Now well, well, gonna
1: how are we going to get out? He's Spanish. just...
0: Uh, should we, Can you pull over? Mexicans.
1: Hey, can you just let, yeah, yeah, just let us out here?
0: Yeah, just let us... We're okay. We're good. We don't need to know that much about Texas.
1: It's like we're not even talking... Okay.
0: I know. Okay, I'm going to jump We're just going to jump for Okay. That's right. Okay, hold my hand, buddy. Okay, here we go. I have something to say about the difference between American and European cities but
1: I forgot what it is. I have it written down at home somewhere.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding.
1: And I'm Steve Shives.
0: And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, this movie's reputation is unknown because barely (laughs) anybody's ever watched it. Isn't that right, Steve?
1: That's right. But among people who have watched it, it enjoys a fairly good reputation, I would say.
0: Yeah. And me. I loved it. It came out in 1986 last year. I was a senior in high school and it did not influence me in any way or form. Right, Steve?
1: I'm gonna take your word for that, although I did see your senior picture where you're wearing a humongous cowboy hat. Did
0: you be quiet. Hey Steve, what movie are we gonna do for my birthday? Because it's my turn; it's my birthday. They, I get to, I get to choose. It's mine.
1: (laughs) It's your birthday, and we get to review whatever movie you want. And the movie, the movie you have chosen is a film from 1986. Mm -hmm. A little movie called True Stories.
0: Yay, True Stories. I love it. I love it. I watched it five times this week.
1: Wow. I love it. For research. Now I'll tell
0: them why I'm angry, Steve.
1: <laughs> why you're angry? Oh, well, uh-huh. here's the thing, everybody. So we had some technical difficulties earlier. Um, yeah, it was
0: called California.
1: Yeah, Jason Jason had a little power outage that uh, caused us to have to delay recording the show for a little bit. Um, And apparently, as a result of that, Jason is now working without his usual notes. Without my
0: acres of notes.
1: Yeah, that he writes very, very carefully, very meticulously compiled notes that he works from every time we record late seating. And he is now flying by the seat of his pants. So
0: that's why Jason,
1: even though we're talking about one of his favorite films, that's uh why Jason might seem a little cranky this time.
0: Fuck you, PG&E, goddammit. <laughs> Ruined my birthday, came in, and you shit right on the cake, didn't you? Mm. Hey, Steve. Yes, my friend. Do you have any trivia for the movie True Stories?
1: As a matter of fact, I do have some trivia for the movie True Stories. Oh, boy,
0: I'll pretend not to know it. Go for
1: yeah, it, yeah, Steve. I, I'm sure I'm going to be telling you all sorts of things you've never heard before. Okay. So the movie and also the the title of the movie it comes from this idea that david Byrne had he had actually uh he collected a lot of stories like sort of tabloid stories and quirky human interest stories that he read in the newspaper mm. uh while he was on tour with the talking heads in the 80s and uh, he he sort of created characters based on a lot of these stories and then um, at a certain point he met with the co-screenwriters of the movie and said hey I want to make a movie based on these characters and and his his central premise was because he has all of these wacky characters and all and stories that he read about in newspapers and tabloids and stuff and he said what if all of these stories were true so that's where we get true stories and that's where we get the the basic premise of the movie which is that he's visiting this this fictional town and texas and we're meeting all of the weird people that live there yeah Um, but it was it was a inspired by David Byrne reading about wacky unbelievable people in in the newspaper while he was on tour with his band right Um, also you may have noticed that uh, one of the one of the featured songs in the movie because there's a lot of music in the movie and one of the featured songs is a song called Radiohead that's right and yes that song is the inspiration for the name of the band Radiohead they took their name from this song so Mm -hmm. Radiohead are uh, talking heads fans
0: Which, by the way, is one of the things that the writers that uh, developed the original screenplay believed in when he was in college.
1: Yes, that's right. I I read that that, because apparently, and you'll probably get into this more in in your bit, but yeah, uh, David Byrne actually rewrote the script. I won't
0: because my notes are gone. Thanks (laughs) (laughs) for rubbing that in, Steve. (laughs)
1: Well, David Byrne Byrne is one of three credited writers for the film, but he actually, but apparently the the shooting script is is mostly his work. Like he just took the- Completely his work. He just took the basic idea and kept a little bit of of what uh, Stephen Toblosky and Beth Henley had had written for their draft, and he Mm -hmm. drastically rewrote it. And one of the things of theirs that apparently wasn't in their original script, but that they told him about, was that uh, I think Toblosky said that he he knew somebody in college who believed that he could read people's... It was was him. He could read people's tones, you know, and that became, and and that became the basis for the character of Ramon and and for the song, Radiohead, because he believed he could tune into people and he could find out things about them by, by tuning into their, their radio frequency.
0: Right. Which is totally Um, a true thing.
1: Absolutely. Definitely a thing that really happens for sure. Uh, and finally, this is my favorite little bit of trivia about this movie, and it's something that you don't necessarily notice unless you know to look for it, and even then, you don't really notice it. Uh, it's not super obvious, which is what... Which unless is, you
0: stop it frame by frame on yeah. the 900th time you've watched it. <laughs>
1: which is what makes it such a cool bit, which is that there Happy are over... birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> there are over 50 sets of twins... That's right. ...that appear in the movie and there's not there except for there there's there's one scene of of uh david burns character and john goodman's character walking through the mall where john Goodman hey, twins po- yeah he points out like people that are twins and then he says like he knows he knows other people who are twins i think he says
0: what he says is uh, yeah those are the twins her mother was a twin too. Yeah, and her mother like, and, was a twin as well.
1: And that's the only sort of pointing at the the only reference to twins in the movie directly. But there are fifty sets of twins that are that appear on screen at some time in the movie. And uh, as Roger Ebert writes in his review of the movie, and Ebert, and this is the contemporary review from when the movie came out in '86, and Ebert gave it a very positive review. He really liked the movie. Um, Who cares? But he said, <laughs> he said, consider the state of mind. Of the person who decided the film should have 50 sets of twins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that to me... An awesome
0: state of mind. Yeah,
1: because that to me is like... if if you read that and you think that sounds hilarious and awesome then you're probably going to like this movie if you read that and you think that sounds dumb and pointless why would anybody do that nobody's even going to notice then the, the charm of this movie might be something that you don't really get
0: but uh, and I don't like you and, and I don't <laughs> like, like you just like with Steve he sets down a firm foot when it comes to if you like Zack Snyder's movies you are not a person yeah. to him anymore <laughs> if you don't like this movie then I have some strong opinions that I will refuse from saying during this podcast because I don't want to lose listeners
1: <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we will get a sponsorship someday and you don't want to torpedo that before it ever happens you know like
0: a sponsorship from who David Byrne
1: I don't know but I mean you know maybe like oh people- from a
0: listener who's yeah. like I'm I am a mega millionaire and yeah. I'm looking for maybe some obscure like podcast
1: so some of those some of those people you know one of those companies that sells like dick pills Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be like, hey, we want to sell ads on your show. Oh, nope, sorry. We listened to the True Stories episode.
0: Man, I didn't like it. <laughs> Usually, Jason is for, like, dig what you dig, but this time he said I could burn in hell. He didn't really say that, sir. That's he, what I heard. He heavily heard applied
1: it at several points. <laughs>
0: That's right. Burning was involved, right? Everyone say I'm right.
1: <laughs> Burning was involved.
0: Get back out there and sell my boner pills.
1: <laughs> People need to bone.
0: The boomers want to fuck at least one more time before they die.
1: Their penises are soft and they must be rescued. <laughs> yes, sir. Any more
0: trivias That's all
1: I got, buddy. Please That's all I got. Please just keep
0: doing it. I have nothing. Okay, great. Hey, everybody. It's now my turn to tell you who made it. It's going to be great. Because Grandpa Jason is going to rely on the old gray matter.
1: <laughs> just dig deep, buddy.
0: It was directed by David Byrne. You know him. He's the lead singer of Talking Heads. If you don't know who Talking Heads is, we can't be friends. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> That's another hard line. Sorry.
0: This, this movie got greenlit, and some people say it's because of his contract with Warner Brothers, which also was the label that... Um, they belong to a record label that they belong to, but others are saying it was because of the success of the um, movie they did of their Stop Making Sense tour, yeah, which was directed by
1: Jonathan Demi. That's
0: right, and it's a great uh, that's great too. Go watch that if you like their music, go watch that. It's yeah, great, it's fantastic. But they were like, this is back when Warner Brothers did things like take risks and not care. And they they <laughs> did both. They took a risk and they did not care. And they gave them money and said, Go make your movie. We don't care what it is. Just go ahead and do it. And so that's how that's how this movie got made. It was produced by Carrie Kerfist. That's his name. Ker-f- Kerfist.
1: Kerfirst, yeah.
0: Kerfirst. Is it Kerfirst? It looks like Kerry. My Ker-first. eyes are bad. Um And uh, he's a music promoter and like a producer and manager. And he like did things with Black Grape and Jane's Addiction and the Ramones and Big Audio Dynamite and the Arismics and a whole bunch of other cool people did cool things. But he's not really a movie producer, is he?
1: Doesn't seem like that.
0: Thank God. (laughs) No, honestly, could you imagine a typical Hollywood movie producer in in this movie? Well, they
1: would have no idea what to do with this movie.
0: No, they wouldn't. Written by, not really, Stephen Tobolowski and Beth Henley. You know Stephen Tobolowski. He's a character actor. He's been in tons of shit, but you probably know him as Ned Ryerson. Is it Ned Ryerson? Ned yeah. Ryerson from Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, And he was also the guy who actually had. The um, the amnesia disease in Memento. Yeah.
1: Remember Sammy Jenkins.
0: Sammy Jenkins, that's right. Um, and you've seen him around. He's been in everything. Yeah. And it was co written by his girlfriend at the time, Beth Henley, and she won a Pulitzer Prize for something. I can't remember the name of the play. Crimes of the Heart. There you go. It was Crimes of the Heart. She won a Pulitzer Prize and then they broke up in nineteen eighty eight. And I'm sure every once in a while now they they think of their time together when they were writing a script that was going to be thrown out completely by <laughs> David Byrne. They, they look out a window on a rainy day and they think, Is the other person thinking about me right now? Probably. What am I doing? <laughs> You're, you know, what am I doing, They're Steve?
1: both looking at the same star at the Ugh. same time and thinking about that screenplay that they co-wrote all those years uh, ago.
0: You used that line on a girl on the phone when I was in high school.
1: How do, how'd that work for you? Great. You closed the deal?
0: We were on the phone, though. We were on the phone. We oh. on the phone I'm like, are we looking at the same moon? We're together. Or something like that. I
1: can't yeah. remember. Oh, chicks love that shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Starring John Goodman. If you said, "Hey, who's John Goodman?" Get off this podcast right now, <laughs>
1: boy. There's all we're we're really <laughs> weeding out the uh, the the audience in this one.
0: Steve, name one movie that John Goodman has been in out oh. of the myriad dozens and dozens uh, dozens.
1: uh, Big Lebowski.
0: Yeah, Big Lebowski. He was on Roseanne. Yeah, he's been in a lot of the the uh, Cohen movies. Yeah, like, almost all of them. He was in the latest King Kong, which is great, and mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I've seen it like 16 times.
1: Because it's, it's terrific. I mean, it's a really yeah. good movie, and, he, and he's really good in it.
0: Yeah, he is. Um... Who's who else? Uh Annie McEnroe plays I didn't even say who John Goodman plays. John Goodman plays um Lewis Fine. And he's just he's just a bad look for love. What is it what is he? The the, the dancing The bear. dancing bear. The dancing bear. And he maintains <laughs> A panda bear shape. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> consistent, and you panda need to be
1: okay shape. with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
0: Spalding Gray as Earl Culver, and Spalding Gray is. He is an actor, but he's best known for a series of monologues that were put to film, like *Swimming to Cambodia*, mm-hmm. *Monster in a Box*. Uh, what else? Oh, there's a, there's a couple others. Unfortunately, he committed suicide after an accident that he had in Ireland. Yeah, he, he's he's really. If you guys haven't seen them, you may think this isn't something that I like, but he is such a great storyteller. He really is. Um, have you seen any of them?
1: I saw *Swimming to Cambodia* a long time ago, but I, I should go back and watch them because I actually I really like uh like one actor films Mm -hmm. that's and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah
0: And I um, kind of met him.
1: Ooh.
0: Was, uh, let's go back, children. It was 1993 in the city of San Francisco, and I was walking home after work, having heard him do a radio interview on a local radio station. And as I was walking down the hill, he was walking up the hill. I saw him and recognized him, and he saw that I, that I had recognized him, and a look of panic swept across his face. <laughs> and instead of doing anything, I just continued to walk right past him. Much, I'm sure, to his relief. <laughs> uh, Annie McEnroe is Kay Culver, and you may have seen her in The Hand and Beetlejuice and Wall Street. She really didn't make too many movies. She really didn't. Yeah. Only like eight or nine, something like that. Uh, Susie Kurtz as Miss Rawlings. Um,. How many movies, Steve? Oh my God! Between
1: the movies and the TV shows, (laughs) and the TV and everything, and the the theater work and everything else, yeah, yeah,
0: she's got tons, Uh but nothing that's like stands out. Like, oh, you'll remember her from Star Wars, or you remember her from, you know, yeah. I think she
1: she is much better known than most of the movies that she's been
0: in. She's one of those
1: actors. It's like you know, you've you've undoubtedly heard of Susie Kurtz, but she's probably more famous than a lot of her movies.
0: Mm Mm-hmm pop staples as mr tucker and he is actually not an actor but uh like an american gospel and r&b singer and he's great i love him i love him so much and it's so great to see him i think this is the only movie that he was ever in yeah it's very apparent that he was not an actor it's very apparent that they didn't give him any actual lines but kind of like kind of lines to say (laughs) but he's mr tucker uh, John Engle as the preacher and he is like he's well known for like soaps. Mm-hmm. I think he was like in general hospital or something like that. yeah and TV, but nothing again, nothing major. A lot of TV work. Uh, Tito La Riva. Thank you. Tito La Riva plays uh ramon and he came to uh he was like famous for like i think it's the plugs it was a like a punk rock band yeah so he's a musician and he's still out there doing his stuff
1: he's still hey he's still out there plugging away
0: mm-hmm. uh, nothing Joe to that. Hart- you give me nothing for that i'm not no. I mean, it's my birthday i don't have to pretend okay. to think you're funny okay <laughs> <laughs> joke. I actually didn't hear it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in the middle of panicking because they have no notes. And it's like, great brain, it's just you and me now. And it's like, okay. What did you say? Did I you said he's
1: still out there keep... plugging away. You were right. You I wasn't going to were... laugh
0: at that. I you wasn't were right. Gonna get... You were right. You just wanted me to be upset.
1: No, okay. I thought it was funny, but that's fine.
0: It was, okay, I know. It was your dad joke. I think it's great. <laughs> There's the stuff. Um, <laughs> Joe Harvey Allen as the lying woman, and she's more of a like a writer performer kind of stage person than she's. I mean, I I'm trying to remember what other movie she was in, and I can't think of it. It wasn't anything big. It was in my notes, which has gone to di- the digital graveyard, and I don't.
2: <laughs>
0: Chris France, Tina Weymouth, and Jerry Harrison as Lip. Syncers. There's a part where people lip sync. Yeah, isn't that great? And
1: and 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 who are they in reality?
0: They're the other band members of of Talking Heads. Yeah, maybe aside from Oingo Boingo, one of my favorite bands.
1: They're like are, ever. they're a great band. They're a great band.
0: Alex Elias as the cute woman. And you, she no, she's not been in. Uh, she's, I'm sure she's been in other stuff, but don't make me think. She, I think she had like little parts in like a movie called Munchies. Oh, that sounds like an instant classic. How have I never uh-huh. seen that? And the Shadow, everyone remembers that. Why did they make it?
1: Oh yeah. Like,
0: who are you appealing to? Everybody that knows the Shadow is dead.
1: Yeah, that the you know famous radio drama. <laughs> From the 30s, now a big-budget 90s movie.
0: Hmm. Matthew Posey as the computer guy. Um, and I think that's everybody that I can think of off the top of my head Um, yeah now let's see if I can remember what the thing the people what they did who made it Um, cinematography by Ed Lachman and he did a lot of independent movies he like worked with vendors and things like that yeah he never really went to mainstream Hollywood gee I wonder why he never sold
1: out man yeah
0: because mostly cinematographers get pushed around by producers and and uh, sometimes directors in Hollywood for example. Uh-huh. Hey, can we hold for the light? No. <laughs> Every minute that we hold costs us a billion dollars. We're not holding for anything. Well I mean I'm just saying thinking that when the light comes in is very beautiful and may help illustrate what's going on. No. Shut up. <laughs> if it's not in the schedule, we're not gonna do it. <laughs> you be quiet. I think he's a great cinematographer. The cinematography in this is great. Yeah. Um who's who's next? Caroline Bickerstaff. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I remember that, nothing. I don't know if she's ever edited anything else again. Production company True Stories Ventures or, You know, a production company that was created Just for this movie It happens a lot And yeah. they usually have creative names Like True Stories Venture Or Spider-Man Movie Project Or, you know, whatever <laughs> we're gonna, it is We're not
1: going to call it that We're going to come up with a better name Before the movie comes out Before you know it, Distribu- there's the vanity yeah. plate
0: Distributed by Warner Brothers Before they become uh, became uncreative garbage people Aww. Who just make, make bullshit Nothing yeah. but crap Released date October 10th, 1986 date movie yeah. it didn't last <laughs> she went i didn't get it i don't it was boring i didn't get it
1: and you just you drove away you left her there at the theater don't
0: even remember her name
1: <laughs> <laughs> you left her at the theater so you you've got a quarter right you can call somebody all right see you had a
0: 1954 chevy stepside at the time that's a truck steve
1: you remember and you remember the car you were driving but not the name of the girl you abandoned right. at I the love, movie theater after she expressed truck. underwhelmment at this movie <laughs>
0: Running time, 90 minutes. Thank you, ah, David. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Box office, because we don't have a budget, we have no idea how much it cost. I can't imagine it costs that much. Yeah. But I think it costs more than what it made, yeah. which was only $2.5 million. Yeah. All right, Steve. Yeah. Let's wear a business suit. Okay. Let's put a hat on. I got it. B- a big old cowboy hat. A gigantic
1: hat. cowboy hat.
0: I personally wish we could just wear any kind of hat with a business suit if we wanted to make pretend we were something. Like, for example, if you want to pretend you're a cowboy, business suit, cowboy hat. Absolutely. If if you wanted to make pretend that you're an astronaut, business suit, flight helmet. If you wanted to pretend that you were Napoleon, <laughs> or like in an ancient war, you wear that, like an admiral's hat or something. Why is it only cowboy? cowboys hats get a pass why none of those people are cowboys it's not fair they never touched a horse much much less wrangled a cow but they got the hat on for it it makes no sense (laughs) like this movie kind of hey steve yeah man you ready to go i'm
1: ready to go into the world i see
0: the little girl down the road (laughs)
1: Let's run her over.
0: She's approaching with a sense of dread. I don't know if I want her to get closer, but she's gonna. Let's be and you run into my birthday movie, ready? Where all the clowns are really weird. The clowns are really weird. There's one that's dressed up like a corner cob with balloons all over it. I don't want uh... (laughs) that. Let's walk into the wacky closet in the Black Lodge that is this movie. true story Steve take it away
1: <sighs> well um, we get the opening titles which inform us that this movie is a movie about a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas
0: thank you movie <gasps> I know and anyway, I don't understand what that was about it was about a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas it literally says it right at the very beginning weren't you paying attention Linda <laughs> I don't think I'd ever I don't think I've ever dated a, Lin- really? a Linda yeah Linda. What you're too good for it? What do you think of me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know that girl that Jason's dating. Her name's Linda. Linda.
0: Linda. What the fuck? Jason and Linda doesn't even doesn't
1: sound like it. That's nothing. What is he thinking? No um, So it tells us Mm -hmm. that It's a movie about a bunch of people From Virgil, Texas And then we cut to The road Where the little girl Mm -hmm. Is kind of dancing in the road And moving toward the camera Mm -hmm. And we hear The voiceover of the narrator Who is David Byrne And And He's
0: like Hi, I'm your narrator I'm gonna tell you a story That I made up That the studio's letting me make Because I'm David fucking Byrne That's why (laughs) Well, fuck you It's 1986
1: And I'm pretty much At the peak of my power (laughs) won't last forever but I'm gonna do this while I can
0: and uh, the girl gets closer and she's humming and whatever and then once she gets past us her humming turns into maybe one of my favorite pieces of music for a movie ever
1: oh it is nice yeah. it's a yes yeah. it's,
0: it's Meredith Monk yeah the talking heads did the bulk of the music for this movie but this segment is Meredith Monk and it's great yeah it is just great. Like I said, I don't hold I don't own a whole lot of soundtracks. But I own this one. <laughs> it's right on the shelf right next to the third man.
1: Ooh, wow. Place of honor.
0: But then we get into a documentary on the History Channel about Texas. Yeah, like... The, told really fast, the, like he's like he's on speed or something.
1: The whole history. Like, back... Everything. Th- it was underwater, then there were dinosaurs. Yep. Then there were uh, indigenous people living here, and then Europeans and then showed up, and the indigenous people fucked killed Fucked everything them. up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then there were and Mexicans we and Americans them. fighting each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was just a whole lot of war and fighting. But then someone and in, someone invented the microchip. Yeah, right.
1: And that changed everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And oh, Texas is turning a hundred and fifty. How about that? It's its sesquicentennial. The Sesquicentennial. K- ses- Sesquicentennial.
1: Sesquicentennial. Ses,
0: ses, 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 susi, his- susi, Yep,
1: his- you got it.
0: My birthday. That's what it has. So How it's pronounced. Okay. From here right now. Ses- and then we sesquicent- cut.
1: Sesquissusissus.
0: Literally to the presentation room in the Black Lodge, which is a screen with a red curtain behind it, and David Burns standing off to the side yeah. talking about this es- Yep, and and they're they're gonna have a parade.
1: Yeah, and a talent and show and a talent show. Hell yeah.
0: And then he walks directly into the <laughs> <laughs> the screen. Yes.
1: Which which you know I appreciated because that is it's not the exact same gag because he actually walks through a slit in the screen, but it's mm-hmm. very similar and of course I found it very reminiscent of, of Buster Keaton and Sherlock Jr. when he stands up and walks into the movie screen. Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. I like that. But this is better. Anyway, <laughs> so now he's <laughs> It's your
1: birthday, so I'll say of course it is, honey.
0: Mm-hmm and now he's driving a big red topless cadillac
1: yeah and continuing maybe, to narrate and, and uh,
0: continuing to narrate stuff about about uh, virgil and he drives past where they're marking out where they're going to put the stage yeah and he asks us is there going to be parked is if they have enough parking when there's literally <laughs> nothing out there there's
1: nothing but but open open range for as long as you can see and he's like you think they'll have enough parking
0: and they're, while they're doing it, for whatever reason, there are like eight school children in Catholic school uniforms just running around laughing. Yeah, Where are they, Why are they there? You're never going to find out. They're just
1: wild kids. They're
0: just there. They're just wild kids. They're like, hey, they're surveying for the talent show stage. Let's run out there and just chase each other and giggle in a straight line.
1: <laughs> what On else are we going to do? It's Texas.
0: <laughs> so he uh then we 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 wind up outside of Vericorp
1: that's right which is the big employer around these parts
0: that's right and and this is a line that has stuck with me since I first heard it in 1986 okay he looks back at the building which is behind him and he said what does he said it's it's a
1: <laughs> i think you're going to say the line that I like from this scene too but I, go ahead
0: go for it No, oh, you do it's,
1: it oh it's is, is it the one where he says it's a it's a great multi-purpose shape
0: box mm-hmm. a box <laughs>
1: I just I love that. That's uh the the dialogue all through the movie is great, but the the dialogue mm-hmm. for Burns narrator is is so good. And that that, that that was a line that made me laugh out loud. Where he's like, it's a it's a great multipurpose shape, a box. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, yeah, okay, great. Then we go inside to the assembly line where we see some of the workers, we we see Ramon and the lying lady. And what's the lying lady like, Steve?
1: Um she is sort of like a a continuous. Continuously running real-time conspiracy theory. She's like a walking episode <laughs> of Coast to Coast AM. Except
0: um, that all the conspiracy yeah. theories relate to her. It all
1: centers on her. She's been everywhere mm-hmm. and done everything and anything. And dated everybody. Dated everybody. And every, everybody, everybody, everybody famous always wanted her and were willing to like throw away their careers for her.
0: Burt Reynolds was going to give away, give me all his money.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. She's actually never... a lot like a guy I used to work with.
0: Oh, you're kidding?
1: Yeah, he would tell like really far fetched, like he, he really huge stories. Yeah, yeah, no, not quite as huge as some of the ones that she tells, but like obvious mm. bullshit told with a complete straight face. Like he expected you to believe him, and it was like,
0: okay. <laughs> there are a lot of Cliff Clavins in the world. Yeah, Steve.
1: yeah, totally, totally.
0: That's why he's relatable. Yeah, we know a Cliff Clavin. <laughs> There's a guy like that. Life. Yeah. Live long enough, and you run into one. Uh, we meet Ramon, who is reading someone's tone. mm mm-hmm. Right? And if you're listening, um, the sounds of the factory start uh, sounding like music. It, 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 it develops a percussive beat. And that's when we cut away from them, and we meet the computer guy, who's, uh, whose appreciation of the computer industry is akin to almost a religion. <laughs> he keeps stressing how... Being into computers is almost an art form. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, okay. a high creative project. And they cut from him doing that to John Goodman in a clean room going, hi, I'm Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when we meet Lewis. And what does Lewis want?
1: Well, I mean, the main thing that Lewis wants is he wants to get married so he can share his life.
0: That's right. We we, and we, we there's cut a, to a shot of outside of his yes. house, <laughs> and it, there's a
1: there's a light up
0: sign in his front
1: yard <laughs> that says "Wife Wanted." <laughs> and it's literally, actually, when I watched it this time, I had to, I had to, I missed it. Like I had to go. I was looking away from the TV for a second. I rewound it to see what that because it's literally like a blink and you'll miss it gag. Like it's yeah, not it like is. it's not like the shot is up there for like ten seconds. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's literally like a three second shot. And if you're not looking right at it, you can't. You, you might miss what the sign says. You so might funny. miss it completely. It's yeah. so funny,
0: and uh, then we cut to some of his misadventures of looking for a woman. And the first one <laughs> is a woman who has I don't know a million kids, yeah, and they're all sitting at a Chinese food place, and he's he's flustered, and he asks them, "Are they what is it? Are you lined up alphabetically?" Well, well, she, yeah,
1: she asks, she asks him if he's learned all of the kids' names, and that's his <laughs> and that's his answer. He says, "Well, are they sitting alphabetically?" <laughs>
0: And then we cut to him uh, where he's in another bad date with some hippie woman that's trying to get him to sit cross-legged and meditate, and he keeps falling over. Yeah. And then we cut back to the freeway, and uh, and and the narrator is driving, and I can't remember what he's talking about. What is he talking about in this shot? It's
1: Oh, I can't remember either.
0: Because he goes off on tangents, yeah. ladies and
1: gentlemen. He talks about yeah. He talks. Uh, is this the one where there? Uh, one of my favorite lines from the narrator, and it's and it's one of these relatively early scenes of him in the car where he's talking about something completely different, and then he kind of trails off, and, and and he says, you know what? And and it sounds like he's going to make a point like related to what mm-hmm. he was just talking about, and then he says, you know what? i honestly believe i can see fort worth from here and it's like what (laughs) has nothing to do with anything you were just talking about (laughs) that's right that's right
0: (laughs) so then he pulls up to a karaoke bar at night yeah and we go inside the karaoke bar and if you were paying attention you see a lot of twins in here yeah
1: this is where a lot of the twins show up yeah because
0: it's jam packed in that karaoke bar yeah. and we see Lewis and he's talking to some women and uh, the narrator goes up and says hi to Lewis and then it's time for the first music video yeah it's t-
1: exactly it's literally it's uh, the le- the next couple of minutes is lifted pretty much without alteration and it becomes the the music mm-hmm. video for this song which is one of the better one of the more well-known talking head songs which is wild wildlife
0: yeah. mhm Ramon goes up to goes up to uh, Lewis and uh, grabs his nose and reads his tones and he says, "Don't worry about it, man. You're going to be all right, right?" And that I don't think that makes Lewis feel any better. No. But then we do the music video, and in the music video, it's a lot of people. David Byrne dressed differently. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of the other Talking Heads dressed differently. They uh, gently satirize Prince. Yes. Out of all of the musical artists that they choose to, to gently satirize, it's Prince. Um, there are people out uh, doing uh, raffles. They're, oh no, it's the what? Well, Mrs. Culver is doing a raffle there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's just a fun little thing where everyone and they just lifted this. They lifted this out of the movie and made it their music video yeah. on MTV.
1: And it was an award-winning video. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. So and David Byrne directed it. So yay. Hey. <laughs> Song ends and then we cut to some little scenes. Two kids getting a sobriety check at a stop-and-go gas station set to beautiful music, shots of the landscape and downtown, and uh, then we meet the lazy woman. Yeah, who never gets out of bed. Who never gets out of bed, but we don't know that yet. She's just a lady in bed.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: And we're like, why is she in bed? She just watches TV and she has an attendant, Mr. Tucker, right? Yeah. And she just basically watches television. And when we're done with her, we get a we get a, a card that tells us that shopping is a feeling.
1: <laughs> That's right. And uh, the first of the, the first title card, but the first of several title cards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, the narrator pulls up in front of the mall, in front of a store called The Homefront, where he's talking about the shopping mall and about how it's kind of devastated downtown, how the stores in downtown have moved to the mall. And while he's talking about the benefits of the mall, a lady walks up and just enters her opinion, too. Just
1: starts talking about how great the mall is, yeah.
0: And we go inside the mall, and he starts talking about the mall itself, right? Yeah. I would say, and remember, this is in the mid '80s, where malls were the strongest thing. Not now, not anymore. Right. But um, yeah, now it's become the new town square, where the air is always fresh and there's always music. And you know he's looking around, and for whatever reason, there is a group of British businessmen off to the side. For some reason, and, <laughs> and an oompa band, and leaderhosen, and some sure. air hostesses. Um, he looks inside of a of the Walden books. Remember that? Yeah, I remember when and that existed. Mm-hmm. And he gives us the reason as to what he's, and he's giving us what he's not doing in this movie. It's two guys laughing hysterically while reading headlines from tabloids yeah. to each other. Yeah. In which they're mocking the, the stories inside of it. And he's not doing that in this movie, is he? No, not at all. Not, not at fact, all. Not at all. In fact, he's not even, he doesn't look at them angrily. He kind of gives a half laugh to himself and keeps walking. He runs into Lewis. Yeah. As you know, Lewis uh, is is very concerned about his appearance. He puts a lot of thought into his appearance, yes. <laughs> he, he has on one of the most ridiculous pairs of shoes I have ever seen in my life, <laughs> which is like a silver LeMay pair of tennis shoes. Yeah. He points out the twins, and he's going to the fashion show right? Um, because there are ladies there. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. He likes ladies there. So they go to the fashion show. Um and Lewis tells him he adopts two. This is when he finds out about Mrs. Rawlings, right? That she's never had to. She's so rich that she doesn't have to get out of bed, right? But he also tells him that Mr. and Mrs. Culver, and Mr. Culver is the person that brought Vera Corp to Virgil, yeah. have never spoken directly to each other in fifteen years or something like
1: that, right? Yeah, because because uh, the narrator says that he's having dinner with the Culvers
0: tonight, yeah, he tells and
1: him. Lewis says, you know, they have we
0: have to make sure when we say the narrator, we don't mean this is dubbed over. We literally mean the David Bird character. Yeah, he's
1: in. Yeah, he's he's in the movie. He's a character. He's uh-huh. in, he's not just. He, yeah, he, he addresses the camera, but he is also a character who interacts with the other. Characters, yeah,
0: right, and um, so they go to the fashion show. Mrs. Culver is uh, the host, you know, she's up on the thing introducing all the fashions. We see the lying lady there who's lying about even more stuff, and then <laughs> Mrs. Culver breaks into a beautifully heartbreaking song about nothing, as near as I can tell. As the fashions come out, hey Steve. Yeah, man. If it's not going to give you a migraine, can you describe the fashions that come
1: out? Oh boy, they're pretty. Some. Uh, let me try to remember some of them. The one. Um. There was the one with it was three people and they were all. Uh. They, they all had like. Uh, prints of like different building materials. Like there was the guy yep. who his jacket was bricks, and then one the middle person like the costume was designed like a pillar. And mm-hmm. I there was the cake lady. The cake lady, yeah. There, yeah. There was a some
0: some very uh, outlandish fashions There were people who were covered in grass. Yeah, yeah. Like the suit was made out of grass, and the other people were made out of like piles of leaves yeah. or something like that. While she is singing her guts out for this song, right? Yeah, it's great to hear other people sing Talking Heads songs. <laughs>
1: I know it's cool, right?
0: And they do it. And then finally, the cute lady comes out. And we forgot to mention, we saw the cute lady who was working the line at Veracorp. Yeah. And she comes out and then she falls off the stage. Yeah, that's right.
1: She has like a (laughs) big costume on. And and we don't actually see her fall. We just hear her. No. And we see Mrs. Culver go, oh, you know, and then like we, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then she's on the ground.
0: (laughs) Right. And so then we cut to. Maybe one of my favorite scenes in this movie, because it is not related to anything in the movie. We see this barren landscape of semi-green field, a chalk gray sky, probably somewhere around sunset. And there are two people yes. just walking and saying the corniest, dippiest shit. Yeah,
1: like ro- as as like were. romantic dialogue. Like, I have, a fi- I have a warm feeling in my tummy. Like, stuff like that. Like, you know. Yeah
0: and she's like and then they kiss and then she asks him <laughs> did you fart?
1: <laughs> oh I cackled I cackled at that it is such a great because it's that. it's like it's the lie it's the bluntness of the line it's the timing mm-hmm. it's oh it's so she's goddamn not mean funny. about it no. it's
0: just like a gentle ask it's, did you fart? it's
1: so goddamn funny and he doesn't answer no we cut like did he fart or not? we may never know we
0: we cut because Lewis is so is so desperate to find somebody that he's now on a date with the lying lady. Yes, and I love this monologue from her. <laughs> Where she's talking about how she's psychic, and Lewis is trying desperately. He's smiling. He's paying attention, but you can tell. God damn it, John Goodman is really fucking acting yeah. in this. I know it's a big, broad character, but you can just read his face <laughs> to tell that he is not good with ed- anything that's coming out of her mouth. Yeah. And what comes out of her mouth while she's smoking these disgusting brown cigarettes is that she's psychic. She's probably psychic because she was born with a tail. <laughs>
1: Yes, that 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 her parents cut off and kept in the medicine cabinet. When
0: she cabinet. was five years old, they <laughs> cut it off. She put it in a pickle jar. What was it like a pickle jar yeah. up in the medicine cabinet? And then and she between the Epsom salts and the mud, <laughs> <monkey> blood. blood.
1: <laughs> and she says, as though it's the most obvious thing in the world. She says, and power <laughs> comes from that. Like, of course it does. Of course it does. Power comes. Everybody knows.
0: Mm -hmm. And then she gets up to go powder her nose. And we cut to the now constructed or partially constructed um, stage. Yeah. And, you know, you have this nice purple, you know, looking like sunset again, nice purple backdrop clouds because it's out in a field. And a man wanders around the stage, centers himself, and then sings opera. Yep. That's it. And that's
1: it. And Then we cut <laughs> to the next scene because it's completely unconnected to anything else.
0: And now the narrator is having uh, dinner with the Culver family. And it's set up like the Last Supper. Yes. With Mister Culver in the center and his two kids on either side. The narrator is at one end of the table, and Missus Culver is at the uh, at the other end of the table. For whatever reason, there is a bouquet of asparagus. I don't know why. <laughs> a whole uh, a whole lobster is in the center of the table, yeah. and a couple of other side dishes. Um, we see that the indeed Mister and Missus Culver do not communicate directly. They use their children. Yeah. And it's not like they're angry with each other. That's just the way they communicate.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The kids have accepted it. Everything, and now we enter into another great monologue from Mister Culver, who wants to explain what's really going on in the town. And what he's saying, he, what he he gives a brief description using the table as stuff. He's like the lobster is Virgil. Here's Veracorp, and he builds a little road with the, with the asparagus. <laughs> and and he he's talking about how people can't will someday not know the difference between working and not working and it ends with what is it what is the line i can't remember his wife's name yeah barbara yeah there's no concept of weekends anymore. There's no,
1: yeah there's no weekends anymore like okay <laughs> cool
0: i love at the beginning of it right when he starts his monologue his daughter says do you hear music <laughs> and the wife looked listens and David Byrne leans over to the son and says, is your sister okay? <laughs> <laughs> they end that scene. That's it. He he. After he says that, they all bow their heads, which is funny because the beginning of that scene is them all bowing their Saying heads. Saying
1: grace or giving thanks. Saying yeah. grace. Nobody says anything. But they're doing- but she, she says, yeah. let's give thanks. And they all just silently bow their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And now we cut to an office window in an office building, a flat squat office building, of a guy in his office dancing. Not all at once. I mean, it builds and then he starts doing dancing. And you feel like you're a voyeur. Yeah. You feel like you're, you're seeing something that you normally would not see, right? Cut to, that's it. That's everything. That's everything you're getting. Church.
1: Oh yes, this scene.
0: If church was like this, I'd go more.
1: The, <laughs> the uh this where the the he's not just a preacher, he is a completely deranged conspiracy theorist.
0: That's right, he is. How deranged is he? He's gonna sing a song about oh, it. Oh
1: yeah. Oh, and there's and, another. Uh, there's another title card before this too, which is which is also oh, is the, which is also the name oh, of puzzling the song. Oh, puzzling evidence. Puzzling
2: right. evidence.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, he basically is going into the whole JFK and all this other stuff, and then he gets into the how everything's connected. and... And now my dog freaks out about something. I don't know. Oh, and, 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 and the, the
1: lying woman is, is in the congregation. The lying woman's she, there, too. She stands up yeah. to, to share with everybody that she had something to do with the JFK assassination. <laughs> but she's not saying anything.
0: hmm And I love how they cut away. When they cut from the, from the, the church to, to David Byrne in his car, it immediately cuts to he's listening to it on the on radio. On the radio, yeah. Yeah. Um, and now we get some thoughts from David Byrne about the suburbs, kind of. We see these empty houses, some of them with for sale signs, some not. Squat, ranch style. Yeah. Huge garages. Four-car garages, garages, yeah. With garbage flying everywhere in the breeze. And he remarks on the beauty of it, and he wonders who lives inside those homes. And it's, he's like, yeah, the beauty of it, the sky, the bricks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anybody like, could live here. <laughs>
0: And then we cut to Mr. Culver, and he's out on an undeveloped part of land, and he says, let me show you the edge of civilization, and they look out over what is basically farmland. Yeah. And he's talking about building the subdivisions, but we're not interested in them, because we pan over to a singing gang of children who have a goat.
1: (laughs) Yep, just going somewhere with a goat.
0: (laughs) Number one, all the kids are dressed the same. Yeah. They're wearing green t-shirts and jeans. They're all are all of them boys. No, I think there's a couple, couple girls. of them are girls. Yeah, yeah, and they're just singing kind of a nonsense song. But we stick with them until they walk away, and their and their their song fades yeah, out. Yeah,
1: they're like lost in the distance. Like we hold on them. That last shot holds them until they're like way, way the hell far away. Yeah,
0: right. And then uh, David Byrne talks about how we've realized the dream of metal architecture.
1: Yes, I love this well, part.
0: Yeah, where what was it? It it, it, it was he he exposes the. Uh, the not the oh my brain's gone steve he said architects had always worked towards metal architecture and now that they've achieved it metal architecture doesn't need architects
1: right that, he said right. that that's why yeah, it was the dream of architects and it's been achieved but they don't know it because these buildings don't mm-hmm. need architects They they you order you just order them from a catalog <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, And he's showing us some of the ugliest buildings I have ever seen. They're
1: like all identical steel buildings, just with different color stripes around yeah, the side. Exactly. Like that's the only, they're the exact same shape, same size, everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's
1: talking about them. Like they're the greatest thing in the world. Yep. Yeah,
0: Like he talks about almost like everything. he
1: talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. He celebrates everything he talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So now we cut back to Mrs. Rawlings in bed she has a robot arm that's feeding her. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Remember, there is nothing wrong with her. She just doesn't want to get out of bed. She has a robot. She has a robot, too. Mm -hmm. When Mr. Tucker leaves, he says bye-bye, and then the robot comes in, and she's watching TV, and then we get another music video.
1: Yeah, because apparently all she watches on TV are commercials. She's flipping the channels Mm -hmm. back and forth, and she's only watching commercials, and then it it fades into the the, the Talking Heads video. Yeah,
0: and commenting on them. Right. Yeah. And then at the end of the video, because she watches the whole video where the talking heads are turned into chocolate bars and devoured. Yeah. (laughs) There's no symbolism there. Um, (laughs) We see maybe, we see Lewis's television commercials of Final Wife, where he restates his, all of his points about what's great about him. And they keep cutting to him in different outfits like he's in a barbecue getup at one point. Is he wearing like scuba diving gear <laughs> I like think that.
1: maybe. Yeah.
0: And that piques her interest, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. She. Yeah. She's she like, seems. Well, she
1: seems interested. Yeah. Well, look at that.
0: <laughs> but we cut to. We cut to Lewis, and now he's in the home—the pastel pink nightmare yeah. <laughs> of. The cute lady's home The
1: cute lady, yeah
0: And she likes everything happy and upbeat, right? And Lewis is a songwriter, and he's written a song He hasn't finished it yet, but he's no. going to sing it at the talent show, right?
1: Yeah, and he sings a little bit of it for her mm-hmm. And he has to kind of hum parts of the lyrics Because he hasn't written all of them yet right? And her critique after he's after he's sung it is Oh, but it's so sad
0: Do you like sad songs? I like sad songs. They make me want to lie on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not going to work out, is it?
1: No, it doesn't seem like they have a lot in common, really.
0: So Lewis goes to a Mexican bar, and then he winds up at Mr. Tucker's house. Right, and he goes
1: to the Mexican bar to get Mr. Tucker's address that's right. from yeah. Ramon. Right, yeah. thank
0: you. And uh, Mr. Tucker's house is kind of like Pee-wee's house from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, if Pee-wee <laughs> yes. believed in Santa Maria. And, um... <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, and there's yeah, cause so so yeah, um, Lewis goes there because he needs Mr. Tucker's help to basically juice up his love life. He's like, I'm. You, use your magic, use your your spiritual powers to mm-hmm. help me find a wife. And uh, there's a great line for Mr. Tucker where he says, "Look, don't worry." You don't have to believe in any of this. You just need to be able to follow instructions. <laughs> right. And and I thought that's how if religion was real, that's how it would work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like that's how it would work. It shouldn't matter if you believe it or not.
0: Mm-hmm. But just he gives follow
1: him, he, instructions.
0: He gives him instructions to drink. Um, what?
1: Three soda waters a day. Three
0: soda waters a day.
1: But drink half and throw the other half away. Mm-hmm.
0: And also carry this, which is like a little belt buckle, like a little yeah. silver belt buckle. Yeah. This is, of course, after Lewis had took off all of his metal.
1: And That's says, right. Yeah. take a, yeah, and, and he puts it in a little bag for him and mm, gives it back to him. here you go.
0: And he puts a picture. We don't see this, but he does put a picture of Lewis up on his board. And yeah. he says, don't worry. We're going to I'm going to take care of take care of everything. And we cut to the parade. Yes. <laughs> Steve? <laughs> <sighs>
1: it's a parade.
0: It's a parade with lowrider trucks. My favorite thing in the world, the lawnmower brigade.
1: <laughs> yes. And, of course, uh, the the Shriners.
0: Oh, the, the what is it? They're the Shriner, the only Shriners in, what, Little Mustangs. Mustangs,
1: and I love that the the uh, the announcer makes sure that we notice they're driving with one hand.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, very impressive.
0: (laughs) And then we get a bunch of ladies pushing baby strollers, and the cute lady runs into the parade to take a look at the babies. Oh yeah, and um, that's oh, and of course. They got a red convertible for the the Culver family because, of course, Mr. Culver is the one that brought all of this industry into right. Virgil. And uh, then we drive out to where the uh, talent show is going to be and it turns dark and Mr. Culver comes out and insults everyone that lives in Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't mean to. He was trying to tell a great story that they would like. Yeah. But basically, God created the whole world, took a nap. When he woke up, he noticed the place that was going to become Virgil had become rock hard as cement. And since God didn't want to start over or remake it into some place nice where people would want to live, he would just make people who like it that way.
1: <laughs> it's a and great joke. I his mean, arm I,
0: gestures I... <laughs> during this entire thing are ridiculous
1: yeah and again, and completely unconnected to what he's saying
0: exactly <laughs> like, so what's the first talent show? Act, Steve. Oh,
1: is this the uh, the, uh, the the speed talkers, like the auctioneers and the yodeler?
0: Yeah, and the yodeler. And they just get yeah. closer and closer as the auctioneers auction at each other and the yodeler gets yeah. closer to each other. And you're like, they're going to have sex soon. They're de- <laughs> yeah, like, is- what are
1: they doing? And the yodeler is also is slowly turning a lasso that he That's gradually right. lowers over them.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Mrs. Rawlings is watching on the TV, of course. She's very dressed yep. up. Then we get some dancers in cowboy costumes. And just when you think, I can't take this, thankfully, Pop Staples steps in and starts singing a song while performing voodoo or whatever it is he's doing.
1: And yeah, at at his house. He's not at the talent show. He's Mm -hmm. doing his voodoo thing at his place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so we are now listening to his song as we see the other acts. Uh, Ramon comes out and performs Radiohead. (laughs) yeah um which is you know it goes on for a little. It's not my favorite song,' whatever and meanwhile <laughs> uh mr tucker is is performing his his you know his ritual while we're cutting back to okay, Steve, a giant paper mache head with human beings inside the mouth as teeth. And it's holding a corn cob with uh, yes. the corn kernels are balloons. Our balloons and, yes and, and arbitrarily a woman dressed as butter walks past and rubs up against it and they cut to the people in the audience and they love it.
1: <laughs> if you have a better way of representing corn on the cob through interpretive dance, I'd but love to why? see it.
0: This one of the what talent is being displayed?
1: (laughs) I know that. Like, how do you? I mean, is anybody going to vote for this? Does Does somebody win this talent show? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I like the corn (laughs) cob.
0: We also get um, some weird weirdos making shadows on a on a screen. Yeah, some yo-yoers. The narrator and Lewis are on the side. Lewis looks very nervous.
1: Well, because he's going to sing. Yeah.
0: We get a a gaggle of old ladies dressed in red, white, and blue that are kind of dancing, and we cut to Lewis, and Lewis looks down, and he's rubbing the little charm that Tucker gave him, right? Yeah. Because he's about to go out, and he's about to sing his song, and then he goes out, and he sings the song People Like Us, which has been stuck in my head all goddamn week. (laughs) Any neutral moment in my life this week, has been filled with John Goodman <laughs> singing this goddamn song. <laughs> and so he sings the song and everyone loves it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. In- including Miss including, uh, Rawlings cause from her bed. Because
0: you can see her kind of Kind of, she kind of, well, she falls in love with him. Yeah. Right. First, we cut to her, and she's looking kind of like she's engaged. S- second time, she's kind of touched, like legitimately touched by a song. And then we see her turn and throw her legs off the bed.
1: Right, like she's gonna get out of bed. We don't like actually she, see her get out of bed, but we, but it's we like know she's she about does. to. We know she yeah. does. Because yeah.
0: he goes off to the side, and it's like a stereotypical, "Hey, I just saw you perform, kid. We want to sign you to a multi level deal contract." because yeah. like cuz they're like phone for you Lewis and he takes it and he's just listening and listening and listening and then we cut to where Steve
1: uh did, did we cut to their to their wedding right
0: well yeah to the to the her to, house to, to her
1: house and they're they're both in her bed
0: we hear Lewis call it a dream <laughs> castle yeah and now he's in bed with her they've just gotten married um the lying lady speculates that he's from Venus or Venice I'm not quite sure <laughs> but they seem very happy and now mm-hmm. we cut to David Byrne driving his car in which he delivers mm-hmm. a nice monologue about forgetting
1: yeah he likes forgetting because likes it's forgetting. the only way that you can keep finding out all the interesting things about a place
0: that's right and then we cut to the little girl at the beginning of the movie and now she's walking away from us being weird <laughs> <laughs> And then we get the last song. uh, And then the movie's over. And Jason immediately clicks play again because this movie is free on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think YouTube knows because right above the selection to watch this for free on YouTube is their advertisement to buy or rent True Stories from them.
1: Hmm, Interesting.
0: The comment section is filled with people thanking the uploader. Saying, I'm going to watch this as many times as I can before YouTube pulls its head out of its ass.
1: Interesting.
0: I didn't need to because I own it on Criterion. So it was... Yeah. But just uh, for me to pull stuff for this, I needed to see if they had clips and I was flabbergasted to find out that the whole movie is on YouTube. So yeah, if it's still good. You might not be there, guys, when you get it, but if you didn't watch it and you want to watch it and you don't want to pay for it, go to YouTube, type in True Stories movie and you'll see it. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. Tell me what you thought of this undescribable movie. It is a parody, maybe a satire. It might be. It's the first not mean-spirited satire, if that's the case. Yeah. The completely not dark but reminds you of a David Lynch film. True stories.
1: Boy, you just said it. Um, I loved it. And I, I had seen it before, but I hadn't watched it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a little bit like rediscovering it for me. but um, yeah, I mean I, I feel like if you didn't like the movie, you could I guess it's the kind of movie that you could dismiss as quirky. Sure, right. But I did like it, so I'm going to describe it using different words, like <laughs> uh, like imaginative, mm-hmm. distinctive, offbeat, absurdist. and um, and most importantly of all, for me, funny. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I, if you've never seen it, it's such a funny movie yep. and and funny in such a unique way. And yeah. you're right. The, the, the David Lynch reference is really I, that I've I thought the exact same thing. It's like if David Lynch made a comedy. Um, If he just lightened up. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's, you know, um, both David Lynch movies and True Stories are animated by a very acute awareness of the weird Mm -hmm. and, and the inexplicable and the suspiciously ordinary. You know, like you see something and it looks totally normal, but it's a David Lynch movie, or in this case, it's it's this movie, and you're like, "I bet there's something, I bet there's something going on there." Like yeah. it looks too normal, it looks too <laughs> ordinary, and um, so yeah, and, that, and it feels like that a lot. It feels like the kind of movie that David Lynch would have made if he went for the laugh more often. Um, but it's not David Lynch; it's directed by another genius named David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah, the, the the big difference I think is that whereas Lynch uses the absurd to present that as something unsettling and dark, yeah. In true stories, Byrne finds all of this utterly delightful. Yes. Like he's his on-screen character, especially is just completely thrilled he's, by he's, everything he runs into.
0: He's like a Mister Rogers.
1: He's very much like a Mr. Rogers. He doesn't have a
0: bad thing to say about anybody. He's judging no one. No. And he says, when he sees Lewis's shoes, which are just ridiculous, he says, those are great. And you feel
1: yeah. like he means it. Yeah, he's so good-natured mm. about everything, and there's never a hint that he's putting on, or that it's tongue-in-cheek, or that like he's serious. He's, you know, it's an act, and he's actually like being mean to all of this. Like, no, he no. seems to genuinely like all of this stuff. And uh, yeah, he has like the the uh, the narrator character is my favorite part of the movie, and I think is is what really makes the whole thing work mm-hmm. um, because he has this paradoxical nature where he seems to be he's the narrator and he's always he's he's telling us the story and telling us things about these characters and talking to the camera a lot yeah so he's omniscient but he also has this naivete about him like this wide-eyed innocence about everything Mm -hmm. and an earnestness about everything Um, And yeah, he's he's both a storyteller and also a character in the story. He interacts with people. Everybody seems to know him, but yet he also talks as though he's from out of town. Yep you know like he he talks about and and none of this is spelled out ever none there there there's never a note of explanation there's no exposition there's never anything that makes it clear who he is and what his relationship to this town is nope. um everybody he he talks about it like he's just visiting but everybody knows him and they treat him like completely normal mm-hmm. and you know a couple of the other characters look at, acknowledge the camera here and there like lewis talks to the camera a couple of times but uh for the most part it's only the narrator that is addressing the camera and it's mm-hmm. just as normal, you know. Nobody else seems to notice it or think it's odd. Um And he just—he—he's the kind of character that, like everything else in the movie, really, he feels comfortable and out of place at the same time.
0: You know what my theory is on the narrator? <laughs> oh, what? He's someone who used to live there, and he comes that back. Could work. Yeah. And he's quirky, just like everybody is kind of quirky in this town. Everyone has a. Th- thing that sets them apart from everybody else. We're just viewing it through his perspective because his ending monologue about how he likes forgetting because then he can come back and rediscover everything again um, implies that he's been there before and that he'll probably return again. He'll leave, he'll forget, and he'll come back. Sorry.
1: So, so just watch the movie a whole bunch more times and pretend that's what's happening.
0: Um,
1: And, and so that's him as a character and, and as a filmmaker Uh, David Byrne treats the the subjects the same way, you know, there's the and, and all of the you're right that he doesn't he never seems to be judging anybody there. Everybody is presented with something between compassion and at worst, just sort of gentle bemusement. You know, like, like, I mean, like Lewis is presented as a very lovable character. We're invited, I think, to genuinely care about him and to want him to find somebody. And by the Um, end you do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, And then there are other characters like the lying woman or the preacher who you know, might have been given a little harsher, more judgmental treatment in another film. But here, it's just like that scene at the mall where he sees the people making fun of the tabloids and he just yeah. kind of chuckles. Like, it, they're presented that same way, just like a, a shrug and a chuckle. Yeah, Like Ber, like Byrne is saying to us, oh, aren't they silly? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's nothing harsh about it at all. There, there's, And you're right, it's, it's not... There, it does feel like a satire a lot of the time, but it's not a mean-spirited satire. The tone is always very pleasant. Everything in the movie is just very pleasant. Yeah, upbeat. And it seems and it seems genuine. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like there's this sort of acid sarcasm underneath it. No, it's everything just seems so nice. Everybody's so nice. Even the bad people are just kind of funny. Oh, mm-hmm. she tells lies about herself. She actually, that's something we didn't mention during our uh, during our synopsis, but it's one of my it's one of the the real laugh out loud moments for me in the movie, which is when the lying woman is on her date with Lewis. yeah, and he mentions that he's a songwriter and she offhandedly takes credit for writing billy jean
0: and most of elvis's songs
1: <laughs> and half of elvis's songs that's another yeah and, and she's again like the delivery is perfect she says it like it's just the most normal thing to say like uh-huh. well hell there ain't nothing to songwriting i wrote billy jean and it's like uh-huh. oh you did you oh shit okay <laughs> <laughs> um he was but, also she so, was
0: also one of jfk's lovers remember that,
1: that yes yeah, she, she was yeah da, jfk died for love that's that's what she says when he, <laughs> when, he, when she stands up in the church she's like jfk died for love um so yeah i mean it does it makes me laugh a lot but it also more than it makes me laugh it makes me smile this is one of those movies yep. that it just it makes me smile from the moment it starts and i i smile at it at its proud confident weirdness mm-hmm. um at how masterfully it commands its tone i mean there's there's stuff in here that would not be funny if burn the director and if the actors did not know exactly how to play this right and the 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 tone is is perfect all the way through there's the not a wrong not moment
0: accidental
1: no there's not a wrong moment in it and and it's a balancing act um, and I mean, I you know, it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but it's true. I love the use of music, um, and yeah, you'll probably like the movie a lot more if you're a Talking Heads fan. If you're yeah. not a Talking Heads fan, you might not like it so much because there is a lot of talking. I mean, there are times where the where the movie just stops dead to have a Talking Heads video breakout, right? Which is which I think works really well because it, it it's integrated into the film very well, and and mm-hmm. I just I like the Talking Heads. I think they're a great band. I don't mind yeah, listening to their music. Let's face
0: facts, Steve. Mm-hmm. There was another Another movie that came out that just featured music videos uh, with a bare minimum of a plot, and that was what Moon Dancer or whatever Michael Jackson's movie was.
1: Oh, oh, uh, Moonwalker
0: moonwalker yeah right oh yeah which was just a bunch of videos strung together and that's garbage it is an not- <laughs> unwatchable mess
1: <laughs> not quite as much of a classic as this one no um and uh, but and the, the but the, the the thing about the movie that i think i like most of all and that that I, I appreciate more than any of its other many great qualities is that it has this unfailing ability time and time again scene after scene after scene to show me something i wasn't expecting Right. and that is a really wonderful quality for a movie to have and some of it is those little scenes that we talked about where it's just like a little inexplicable vignette like the guy just singing an aria on the stage right. for no reason yeah. or the dancing guy or the or the, 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 the young couple walking through the field that ends with the fart joke like it's just completely unconnected to anything else and whatever you think of it I guarantee you if you're watching the movie for the first time that was not what you were expecting to see uh-huh. it constantly goes in unexpected directions in a really wonderful way. So yeah, um, I, yeah, that's all I can really say about it. Highly recommend it. It's, great. it's a great movie.
0: So as you guys know, I love this movie. Um, I've loved it since I was 17 years old and I love it now. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Um, it's, it's up there. It's way up there. Um, every time I come back to it as I get older, I, I, here's something that I, I just now related David Byrne's monologue at the very end of this movie resonates with coming back and watching the movie mm-hmm. because I watch the movie, then I forget things about it and then I rewatch the movie a few years later and I <laughs> rediscover all the things that I liked and a few other things that I hadn't noticed before. Yeah. I mean, I don't I think some people can be turned off because they feel it's quirky. Maybe some people will feel like he's mocking them, but I don't think he's mocking the people in this movie at all at all. It's almost no. as if he's romanticizing rural Texas, right? There's nothing really about this town or its environment that is beautiful other than its austerity of having a flat horizon maybe broken by a few buildings and maybe a distant tree. It seems flat. He has that line at the beginning of the movie that says... Um, Texas used to be covered with the ocean and it still kind of is and they cut to the (laughs) landscape of Texas and it's completely flat. Um, I don't feel this is a mean-spirited movie at all in someone else's hands. This would have been a very mean-spirited movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't. Everyone is treated respectfully. The lying woman, everybody. There is nobody walking up to the lying woman and telling her to shut up that she does, you know, stuff that you would typically see in a a movie. Someone calling her on her shit. No one does it. Not a single person does it. Not even Lou. Lewis Lewis smiles his way through her craziest monologues. (laughs) <laughs> okay, We accept these people at face fact. The cute lady, even though she doesn't outright say that they aren't going to be a good match. When she says, I don't think I could live with sadness like that. When she comments that his sad, her, her song was sad. You can feel Lewis kind of being crushed. Because yet it's another woman that he he doesn't want. But here's the funny thing about Lewis. Lewis is desperately to find someone that he connects with. But it's pretty obvious from the way this is shot that a lot of the women in town dig Lewis. anytime Lewis is making a public appearance for example in the karaoke bar they keep cutting to women whispering to each other when they see Lewis yeah he's holding his own even though he roars as the dancing bear to this woman she thinks it's funny and cute until he gets he gets distracted by the narrator when he's singing his song at the end of the movie you cut to women who are doing the same thing again looking at Lewis and talking to each other you know with their cupped hands and it's pretty obvious that Lewis is the one that needs to make the decision. And it's not from a lack of trying. It's just that he knows who he wants. And what he wants is to be loved. And um, John Goodman is so goddamn great. And this is like (laughs) his first movie, I think. This is before Raising Arizona or or Roseanne or any of that other shit.
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
0: He sings really well (laughs) for that last song. Um, And he's just... He's like most of the other characters, there's no judgments on anybody, not on Mr. Tucker who is obviously performing witchcraft of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> and he has this nice, gentle voice. You're not scared of him. It's not like he's attacking, you know, in a typical comedy, he would break out the chicken's feet and, you know, dribble blood around yeah. him and get him to do all this goofy shit. There's none of that goofy shit in there. You find himself in a situation where the where Lewis is at the point where he's willing to trust in the supposed magic of this guy. Right? No judgment on the guy. No judgment on Lewis. In fact, when Lewis is standing off the side as nervous as hell, you start believing, oh shit, Mr. Tucker has magic powers! <laughs> he's imbuing magic powers uh, onto Lewis so that he sings his song well and he finds love. And guess what? He sings his song well <laughs> And he finds love hmm. within seconds of each other. Um, I love it. I love it. If I need to, if I need to watch a movie that puts me in a good mood and lifts my spirits, I watch this. There are dark things that are presented, but they're presented in such a way that there's still no judgment. And it'll be like, oh, well, for example, when he mentions the mall, he says it drove all of the big stores out of downtown Virgil out to the mall. Now. You know, knee-jerk liberal would be like, oh, it's destroying down the, the downtown section. and it, It's not. It's just he states it as a matter of fact. Yeah. Like, he does a lot of things. You're inside this mall, and it ain't a great mall. It's a pretty ugly mall.
1: It's just a mall. Yeah, there's nothing special there's about a, it at all. There's
0: nothing special about it, but he's, he talks about it as the positives, the positives of the mall. This is where people gather now. This is where people can walk around. And it's air-conditioned. And the air is fresh.
1: The and, stores are clean.
0: And the positive thing is that people are still meeting and gathering together socially. I know you guys have forgotten what that means at this point because of internet and the COVID. But <laughs> it cuts to scenes of people, of like-minded individuals gathering together and having a good time. I, If you ask me, what is this movie about? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, does it need to have a point? Does it need to have an overriding statement as to what he is saying? It'd be nice. I think that what he wanted to do was to do all of these little vignettes and have a backbone story with, with uh, Lewis. Because if the Lewis story wasn't in there, then it would just be a series of, of vignettes. Yeah, And then it would just be over. But thankfully, he gets us invested in Lewis, and then we see his arc complete, right? Um, but I mean... the the weirdness that's in here is earned it it doesn't feel like they're trying too hard to be weird and it kind of makes sense you feel like you're visiting a town and you don't know anything about the local customs or the people or anything but if you had lived there for at least six months all of this would become normal you know that everybody works at Veracorp you know that Mr. Culver and Mrs. Culver don't talk to each other why? I don't know they don't seem angry at each other it's just the way they communicate Right, you know that there's a weird lady where if she gets your ear, she's going to talk about bizarre stuff. There's a cute lady that's a, who is, is addicted to everything cute and happy, um, and that there this small town has a parade as best they can, which includes you know the lawnmower brigade, <laughs> which are just old dudes pushing lawnmowers, and the moms pushing babies in strollers, and you are like, okay. Is that weird? No. I've seen weird stuff in rural California. I've seen weird stuff driving across this country. I've seen weird stuff from a window of a train. And I am looking at it as an alien cuz I am an alien. I don't know what that town is. I don't know what they value. I don't know, you know, what kind of people there th- that are there. You know. So instead of coming at this like, you know, a bunch of city folk mocking the rural people, instead, he Builds them up, mm-hmm. and you don't hate them at all. We don't get into their politics. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't find out the dark secret of Virgil. There's no mystery here. He presents them as they are, and you are allowed to make a judgment as to who they are as people. So I like the music. I like the actors. I like the I like the vignettes. I like the documentary at the middle. I like the weird dancing girl that oh that bookends this. <laughs> Because I used to do that shit, Steve, when I'm all alone out in a field somewhere.
1: Yeah, what else are you going to do? You're going to dance around.
0: You're going to hum and dance around. And that's something else that this movie captures a lot of. Moments where people don't think that people are looking at them. Yeah, yeah. The guy at night in the office building, right? The guy at night in the office building starts off dancing a little bit, and then he starts dancing a whole lot. And you literally feel like... You're watching someone who doesn't know that they're being watched.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? The Absolutely. opera singer,
0: the opera singer guy. He's all by himself. He's obviously one of the construction workers. He just decides, "I'm going to stand in the center here and sing." Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I love it. It's a great movie. Everyone go see it right now. But if you don't love it, I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't blame you for not liking it. It can be a hard sell. But it's only an hour and thirty minutes, and it's free on YouTube. So go do it if you haven't already. And if you have and you didn't like it, that's fine. You don't don't need to love it. You don't need to have it stitched into your brain like I did. Like so many other things that I frickin' imprinted on like a baby goose when I was in high school. (laughs) But this is a movie that I look forward to watching again in another five years and remembering all the things that I love about it. And hopefully, if I live long enough, I'll see it a couple more times. (laughs) (laughs) So, yay. Hey, Steve.
1: Yes, my friend. Classic? Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Classic. Easily. Yeah.
0: Steve, do you have something that you do not want to recommend?
1: I do. Oh boy, do I ever. Okay. So, one of the things, one of the tropes that this movie that True Stories uses that I have always really liked. It doesn't always work. Not every movie that uses it is is a good movie, but it's the characters talking to the camera trope. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sucker for that, and it works really well in this movie, and oh, yeah. it works really, it works really well in some other movies too. But I thought I, I wanted to find a movie that uses the characters talking to the camera trope, and that is not a good movie. And the movie that I that I settled on uh, is a movie that uses that trope, although not nearly as much as True Stories does. In fact, it only uses it a little bit at the beginning and at the end, but it still uses it. And it is a movie that actually came out the year before True Stories, and it stars an, an, an actor that, that some folks may remember named Jim Varney.
0: Oh, Jim Varney.
1: Jim Varney, right? And it is a film called... <laughs> Doctor Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie that I first saw when I was a little kid because it's one of those movies that because they would play it was like made a, for
0: little kids.
1: <laughs> they would play, and it well, it's one, it's it has an interesting history. It was I don't know if it was ever actually theatrically released. It was it was made in eighty five, and mm-hmm. then it and then it was distributed on home video in the early nineties, and it was shown on TV a bunch. I remember when I was a little kid, it was shown on. It was one of those like you know USA Network like mm-hmm. afternoon movie when they would just put something on so they had something on in between like like episodes of silk stockings or something. Um. And so, and it's, it it features uh, Jim Varney as Dr. Otto. And he also plays Ernest, of course, his most famous character, Ernest P. But Ernest is only in it a little bit. And Ernest is in it. Ernest is in it at the beginning. And he's talking to the, he's talking to Vern, who is the camera. Um, That's where the, the talking to the camera bit comes in. And there's a little bit of that at the very end. But it's just, I mean, it tries, it's wacky and kind of madcap. And it tries to be sort of like a goofy, funny movie. It doesn't really work. I mean it it has a little bit of the same kind of earnest pleasantness that True Stories has but Dr. it's not it Otto
0: is the guy that has the gloved hand on top he, of his head
1: He has a hand on top of his head yeah right. he has a hand on top of his head and he's like a stereotypical supervillain who wants to take over the world you know mm-hmm. and he talks like this mm-hmm. Um and it's yeah. I mean, I I think we we might have mentioned a time or two on on the on the podcast, and I know I've talked to you before in private about it. Like, I'm I'm a fan of Ernest. I God help me. Like, but but the ideal format for Ernest is. A thirty second commercial. Like that's (laughs) that's why most of the best Ernest bits are actually in his commercials because that's that's like, oh, you put him in a thirty second commercial and you're gonna get gold. You put him in a ninety minute movie, uh are we sure about this? Um Ernest goes to jail. Huh? Ernest goes to jail. Ernest goes to jail. (laughs) It's my favorite
0: Ernest movie and it has one of my favorite montages in a movie ever. Really? Yes. It's what's, when what's he's the in jail and they're telling him he needs to toughen up and he's trying to come up with like a character for him in jail and it's just these quick cuts of him going through these different characters to be a tough guy in jail, and one of them is an effete British man. And you're going through, and he's like, and he's and, and he cuts to the effete British man, and he says, and you shall stop, or else I shall destroy you, and then they keep going. And for whatever reason, when I saw that, I laughed and laughed <laughs> and laughed. And laughed. I was, what, I think it was 21 when that movie came yeah. out? Maybe 21, 22 or something like that. And for whatever reason, I watched the whole movie, didn't hate it, and I, I still consider it a movie that I will watch now. I know it's terrible. Yeah. I yeah, know but- it is
1: that's that you're describing my relationship to most earnest material as well. Like I know it's terrible, but there is something about it that I find so likable and so endearing. And I think this movie would, would probably have worked better if there had been more earnest in it, but yeah. unfortunately it's Jim Varney playing other characters, not earnest, but yeah, so that is my not recommendation. It's Dr. Otto and the riddle of the gloom. If you are an earnest completist and you've never seen it, maybe check it out. It's it like, it, it is also only like an hour and a half long. Um, but yeah, not a great movie. Not a great movie.
0: Okay, as you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year that the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1986. And I looked for a comedy, and boy, there are a lot of shitty comedies in 1986, but this one's the shittiest. Or <laughs> at least it's the shittiest for what they decided to do. In 1986, a group of filmmakers decided, hey, let's make a movie that really, really examines what it's like to be an African-American in the United States. Great. Good idea. Except, let's tell it from the perspective of a spoiled, rich white kid who dyes himself black. (laughs) Oh, no. The movie I'm not recommending is called Soul Man. Don't see it. I don't know why James Earl Jones is in it, but he is. And uh, also, C. Thomas Howell is the guy who's in blackface, whose career ended on that day that it premiered.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> even in the mid '80s, people were like, "This doesn't feel right."
0: <laughs> also, Ray Don Chan and Leslie Nielsen are all in the movie, and none of them, none of, on none of their resumes, did this movie ever appear. <laughs> blackface is a bad idea. They tried to defend it by saying, "Well, Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie." How well is that argument holding? up, guys. Yeah, that's Is that not working a good... working
1: for you? No. <laughs> that, try something else. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Don't. It's bad. Don't. It's bad. It's bad. They tried desperately to make points that were important points about being black in the United States but they nullified all of those points by casting a white dude. And if you wanted to make those points, rewrite the script so that it's told from the perspective of an actual African American person and not a rich white kid trying to get into Harvard but can't. So he figures, you know what? I can go to school by beating out all these other black kids because I'm a white kid and get a scholarship to a black school because I'm inherently better than all of the black applicants apparently and that got pointed out to them and they went oopsie didn't realize that's what we were saying
1: (laughs) oopsie sorry
0: fuck the movie don't see it hey Steve
1: yes Jason
0: you get to make an extra terrible choice this time around. You want to Oh, know why? do I? Why? Because it's viewer choice time, baby.
1: Oh, but I thought the viewers choose.
0: No, they give us movies, and you oh. have to choose. Because oh, so no, it's still my fault. No, yes, it is. No, Ooh. two of the uh, of the people who, uh, who brought us movies for the viewers' choice, none of them matched, so we didn't have a clear winner. Ooh. So, as you guys know, I asked you, I asked Patreon patrons to send in what they would like us to review. I received all of them, and I would like to thank the following people: that Brit nerd, Stefano Coza, uh, Cocosa, Sorry. Tasby, Twelve, Saint Swibbins, Francois Lacombe, Amanda Billings, Daniel Baggett, Doug Rouge, Matt Grandis, Mister, S- uh, uh, sorry, Stephen and Cindy Dymac and Cassie Volpe. Thank you guys for submitting. And now Steve has to make a horrible choice oh, between boy. A, B, C, D, E, F, <laughs> G, H. I J and K wow Steve (gasps) yes make your selection knowing that you're going to disappoint a number of people
1: (laughs) okay so I love it I love it (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to explain my I've made my choice. I will share my choice in a moment. I want to explain my process. Okay. That's a ridiculous number of letters. So it is. I just I am choosing the first of those letters that I happened to see when I glanced at my show notes after you told me what the letters were. It's not gonna matter okay. to the people who don't get chosen. I know, but I'm just saying that it that's that's how I came to this decision. So uh-huh. I am choose the letter I am choosing is g <gasps> g
0: you're making someone very happy because they've recommended this twice
1: oh boy well well there you go well I, I feel a little better now
0: okay so had you chosen a it would have been the movie north aren't you glad oh you boy. didn't choose it <laughs>
1: i'm glad i didn't choose a
0: had you chosen b we would have had fun because it was spider-man into the spider-verse Ooh, yeah. i think i've seen that what seven eight times at this great point.
1: movie great movie
0: if you'd chosen C, it would have been Somewhere in Time. Ooh. Had you chosen D, it would have been the French film The Confession.
1: Nice. Oh, wow. These are some really good they suggestions. They are really
0: great ones. Some of them yeah. I could only pick one because they sent a list. Had you pose- chosen E, we both would have been happy, and eventually we're going to do this at some point, but it would have been the 1953 War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. F would have been Blue Velvet. Oh. We're going to get to that one eventually, yeah. guys. Don't that's worry. a Yeah,
1: that's an inevitable one, yeah. hmm
0: H. We would have remembered what it was like as children to have seen this movie and, and uh, reviewed Watership Down.
1: Oh, hey, wow!
0: Yeah. I, we still would have had fun because it would have been five million years to Earth.
1: <laughs> wow, these are some great suggestions.
0: I know. J <laughs> would be Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, okay, and K would have been The Secret of Nim. Wow, but you chose G, I did. A movie that inspired a long-running television show that you hate. Oh, boy. in fact, you wish would never have been broadcast on television or something along those lines. I personally love the television show, but Steve hates it. I do? But this is the movie that inspired it.
1: (gasps) Oh, shit, I know what this is. Okay, okay.
0: Directed by one of your favorite directors, Robert Altman. Yeah. It's the movie M.A.S.H. Nice. So, if you guys want to get all the jokes... Then watch Mash somewhere. <laughs> I <don't know>
1: where. <laughs> find it; it's got to be available. i sure someplace. be
0: able to find it, and we get to react to the misogyny. Oops, I mean all of the funny jokes in there. The right, jokey Steve? jokes,
1: yeah, the, the funny jokey jokes.
0: Funny jokey jokes where they make a woman get exposed to the entire can't it's it's the for camp.
1: It's for laughs. It's for lighten up. You can't make. You can't do anything anymore.
0: Yeah, just you know, it'd be great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks patron who suggested that
0: and that's it now you don't have to deal with any more of our birthday shit and we get on to your guys's shit we we'll review bash so that's it i'm done i'm happy birthday to me i'm constantly happy birthday, scared there's gonna be Jason. another power outage and just wreck this one too oh
1: uh, we're gonna we're almost to the end now buddy
0: i know that's what's that's when it's most scary Oh. Anyway, for Late Seating, this has been Jason Harding, and see a movie this week.
1: And this has been Steve Shives, and Jason, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I just want to leave you with a little bit of wisdom, and that wisdom is, remember, things that never had names before are now easily described. Makes conversation easier.
0: Thanks for explaining what language is to me, Steve. You know, I'm only 52. I'm not decrepit. I haven't forgotten my language skills yet.
1: (laughs) The cognitive abilities haven't decayed to that point. That's
0: right. Sure, it takes me a few minutes to remember who you are, but I'm disguising it really well.
1: Yeah, you are very well.
0: By not saying your name.
1: What, and but what is my name? But eventually
0: you're going to become Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie? Because that's what I want to say. Hey, Donnie. Shut up? the
1: fuck up, Donnie!
0: <laughs> Your mom still have labial warts? And you won't even uh, know what I'm talking about anymore. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and, I, and I'll be very glad that I don't. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I'm glad that's not me, I hope.
0: I told you you can't get rid of them by buying that stuff at the drugstore. you got to get a doctor to take care of those things. <laughs> what's that Donnie you owe me a lot of money motherfucker (laughs) oh wrong Donnie why am I talking to you through the television Donnie
1: (laughs) I know you can hear me Donnie
0: cut to five years down the road what is this who are you what do you want I told you I don't know where the polar bears went they were here one minute (laughs) now they're gone <laughs> I'm not a polar bear wrangler guy. I'm just doing it'll be you know what it'll be? It'll be a game of catch up because your memory's been failing you too.
1: Yeah, a little bit here and there. I heard I had that a, live stream. <laughs> I had I had a I had a momentary lapse a During momentary my last lapse last where you
0: couldn't remember the names from what was it it was it was
1: it was, it was well, I, I i screwed up twice and it was both actors who played perry white cuz somebody that's asked right. me who my favorite perry white was right. and my favorite perry white is john hamilton from the adventures of superman but i but called, him, called
0: him you just called him John Hammond
1: I called him the, John Hammond who is the the, the millionaire the crea- from Jurassic from Park. Jurassic
0: Park yes
1: <laughs> Hey, close enough they both have white hair come and on then give me a break you couldn't
0: remember the name of the editor from the superman movies
1: yeah Jackie cooper that's he, right. Yeah, Perry, Perry White from the Christopher Reeve movies, and I was like, "Shit, mm-hmm. I can see his face. Does that count?"
0: Look forward to the future, everybody, where it's just going to be me and Steve doing this for the entire show. Uh, who was that guy? He was. Uh, he was in that movie with the fish. <laughs> it
1: was. What was the the Simpsons joke where um, Homer said, "You remember that guy, Marge, the one with the shirt"?
0: That's all it's going to be. It's going to be me and you doing that at each other forever. And we until... won't
1: even be, we won't even be talking about a movie. <laughs> like, I thought they were doing The Godfather two this week. They haven't even mentioned movies at all.
0: No, they keep trying to remember what they had for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be an eight hour. Eventually, guys, it's going to be an eight hour podcast, and then you'll know i don't need to listen to this anymore because there's no movie in this there's
1: no content here it's
0: literally them trying to remember something getting upset at one another for not remembering or misremembering forgetting who each other are and then wandering away from the microphone
1: (laughs) okay pastrami now you're just making up words pastrami what the whatever
0: Right.
1: You're not going to take this seriously. Let's just stop.
0: Something. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday to me. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash And...